Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. I'd like to wish you all a very happy Easter or a blessed Passover, whatever you celebrate this time of year, and a beautiful spring to one and all. Today we've got a great show for you. I'm going to be bringing you an author by the name of Vanessa Westerman, and she is the author of An Excuse for Murder, her debut novel, which came out from Wild Rose Press in March of 2019. Vanessa is an avid reader and a writer of crime fiction. Her ideal day would be spent reading fictitious crimes with a cup of tea and murder between the pages of a book. Her debut novel, An Excuse for Murder, was published in March 2019, so it's hot off the presses, by Wild Rose Press. She's a former Arthur Ellis Awards judge and a reviewer. At the Toronto chapter of Sisters in Crime, she had the pleasure of giving a talk on the evolution of women's crime writing. From 2012 to 2016, she wrote book reviews for a column entitled Vanessa's Picks in the monthly newsletter of Sleuth of Baker Street, a mystery specialty bookstore in Toronto, Canada. And I have to tell you, the Sleuth of Baker Street is my favorite bookstore. If you find yourself in Toronto, please look it up and visit them. They're one of the few remaining independent bookstores dedicated to mystery and crime, true crime and uh, crime fiction left anywhere in North America. So please be sure to to drop in and patronize them. While she was living in Munich, Germany, Vanessa attained her MA in English Literature and went on to teach creative writing. So she does have a pretty rich background. She's currently living in Canada and working on her next novel. And I'll tell you a little bit about her debut novel, An Excuse for Murder. As a former bodyguard, it should be easy for Gary Fenris to kill especially when the motive is revenge. But Gary has made two mistakes in his life. The first was letting the woman he loved die on his watch. The second was thinking vengeance could bring him peace. Local bookstore owner and amateur lockpick Kate Rowan loves nothing more than a good mystery. Her curiosity soon leads her down a trail of blackmail, obsession, and death. Despite the risk, or maybe because of it, Gary finds himself drawn to Kate. When danger strikes, Gary is forced to face the fact that he used love as an excuse for murder. And now he's got one last score to settle. So that's the write-up on Amazon for An Excuse for Murder by Vanessa Westerman. And now, without further ado, please welcome Vanessa to Dead to Rights. How are you this morning? Great. Thank you, Donna. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to. I really wanted to talk to you about your brand new book, An Excuse for Murder, which came out this month. And since it's March 30th, it really was this month um, from the Wild Rose Press. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And it's very fresh. It only came out March 20th. So wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So our listeners, are, when we air, I've, and uh, so they'll get a chance to be out there and be among the first people to buy your book. Um, tell me a little bit about the protagonist, Gary Fenris. 
Yes. Well, Gary was a former bodyguard and he lost a client on his watch and he'd fallen in love with her. So he was very emotionally attached. He has a very strong sense of justice and he decides to take vengeance himself. So that story actually begins when he commits murder to avenge her death. Oh dear. And how did she die? She was killed, but the way that she was killed and who committed the crime is revealed throughout the story. So I'm not going to say too much about that. So I don't give anything away. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When did you start writing crime? What drew you? Oh my goodness. Well, when I was very, very young, one of the first books that I loved to read were Nancy Drew Mysteries. So then I got into Agatha Christie's and later on during university, I read all the golden age of crime fiction. And this is why An Excuse for Murder combines different elements of genres that I love to read in crime fiction. So it combines elements of the traditional mystery, but also the thriller mm-hmm. and a little bit of romantic suspense. Okay, okay. Yes, he does become, I'm not sure if he actually becomes romantically involved, but he does become interested in um, a lockpick named Kate Rowan. Is that right? Yes. So Kate Rowan is the second protagonist. She owns a used bookstore and she's actually the one who finds the body. So she's very imaginative. She's curious. She's a very spunky character. And there is a little bit of uncertain romance between them. So Gary starts to get to know her a bit to find out how much people know about the crime because he starts to feel slightly haunted by what he has done because the story begins with the crime that he commits. The rest of the story is concentrates on the after effects of taking revenge. And so he tries to find out more and more what other people know so that he can cover his, cover himself. Good, good. So, where does Kate Rowan work? I, I know I read what she was, uh, it was a local bookstore? Yes, she owns a local bookstore. It's called Fortune's Cove Books. She is a Canadian who is living in England right now. She rents a room in a Victorian house who is owned by her great aunt. Okay. And the person that Gary killed was a tenant in this Victorian house. Okay, so there's already a pre-connection before they even meet, is that right? Okay, so really you've got the charm of a cozy, you've got a thriller because there's a real dark aspect to this, um, and you've got location going on. How important was location to you when you set out on this novel? Oh, very important. I decided to set the story in England. I did toy with the idea of setting it in the States, but the house plays such an important role in the story. I needed a setting where I could have a sense of history in the architecture. So I wanted to have a really creative Victorian house that has a fairy tale type tower attached to it. And the fact that there's a group of strangers who rent rooms from Kate's aunt who live together. And this combination of the characters who don't really know too much about each other and this really different setting that has such a past with great her great aunt who has a history with this place as well. I need it somewhere where the buildings have a lot of history and have been there for a very long time. That's excellent. I really like that. Now, I, I grew up as both a um, Nancy Drew and an Agatha Christie fan. I think I was around 21 when I um, 
had finished reading all of the Agatha Christie books at least twice and had to put them aside and get into a grittier <laughs> style of novel. <laughs> oh yeah. So so we had a similar background in that. I mean, my own my own passion is writing thrillers. I, I in particular love literary thrillers because I'm very character driven. Um, how how did you come up with these characters? Because I think that uh, you know they sound they sound pretty fascinating to me. Well, it actually began, the whole premise began with a character sketch of Kate's great aunt. It was this little scene that I just jotted, jotted down where there was this woman in a hat store who drops an unopened letter from her deceased husband. And I was thinking about where she would live and what kind of a house she would have. And then I started developing the characters. And because of this connection with the two genres, I wanted to combine with the forwards-driven plot of a thriller where you're constantly worried about what will happen next. I wanted to have someone who commits this murder at the beginning and then has to constantly fear being discovered, along with the traditional aspects of a cozy in Kate's storyline, where she's the typical amateur sleuth who starts to unravel the crime in the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And working with, and uh, tell me, is, um, is Gary an actual, is he a sleuth? Is he a gumshoe? Is he, what? what's his... Well, because he works, um, he was a former bodyguard. He has all the skills that you would require for a kind of a traditional character in a thriller. He knows how to fight. He has, he's a very keen observer. He's able to deduce things and put together the connections. And he's now working with his own security company. So there is the potential for a second book where he and Kate can work together as sort of partners in crime and investigate things. Excellent. So he is a bit of a detective in his own right. That's what I was trying to get at in my own fumbling way. (laughs) Pardon me. My throat's just a little bit froggy this morning. But um, (laughs) I had the sense just reading about the book that uh, he would be a bit of a detective in his own right. But I just I couldn't piece it together from the material that was out there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, I also wanted to know what challenges you faced as you developed your first novel. Mm. Well, it took a very long time to actually find a publisher. It took me about six years. So I was lucky in a way. A lot of the rejections that I received were extremely positive, but there was one that I did take to heart. It was one very early on, and an editor had actually commented that Kate seemed like a damsel in distress, and I was horrified. Ah. <laughs> yes. So I thought, oh my goodness, how could somebody think this when they read the book? So I went through and I edited. I spent a lot of time taking feedback and reworking aspects, and I went through that book, and I looked at every decision, every action Kate took. And I made sure that she showed strength and courage in the end and that she was the driving force in every scene she was in. And when I received Barbara Fradkin's praise quote, um, as I had after I had signed with Ralph Rose Press, and she said that Kate was the perfect heroine for our times, I thought, yes, I have succeeded. <laughs> and anything coming from Barbara Fradkin is a real feather in your cap. It speaks very well to your ability to grow as an author. And this is something that I really want to emphasize to listeners who may be working out on their first or second or even their third novel and not having a great deal of success. When you start to receive criticism, you can take a number of routes. Um, One of those is to reject the criticism, to stand on your artistic principle. One is to take every criticism to to heart and um, 
try to please everyone. And the other is to find that middle ground and to sift and sort those criticisms. Some of them are going to be far more valuable than you might initially think. And if you can do that, if you can stand coldly on the sidelines of your own work and measure through those criticisms, put aside the ones that you measure as truly unworthy, but the ones that you suspect might have some worth, really work with them. Yes, I was very, very lucky um, that I also received feedback from a fellow Arthur Ellis Awards judge on the manuscript, and she gave me some wonderful advice. One was targeting the audience that might that this book might appeal to, so she pointed out it might be women more so, which helped me to focus my query letters for publishers. That was very valuable. And she also made an interesting comment. She said at the time that I was making a mistake many new writers make, that my writing was quite flowery. I was putting a lot of attention into making sure every single sentence was perfect, which meant I had an excess of adjectives and metaphors. So, and adverbs, adverbs, yes, I'm sure, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the dreaded so, L-Y. You know? Oh my goodness, yes. So I went through it as I was making sure that Kate was a strong character. I went through and I cut out any excess and shortened the sentences. And it went from 128,000 words to 75,000. And I learned so much in the progress. And what a difference that yeah. that cottage of words makes. I don't know whether cottage is a word, but um, just chopping out those excess words and remembering that we are now in the year 2019. We are not in the 1800s or even the early 1900s. And, you know, you can stand again on principle and say you love those words, but I can promise you your readers don't. And um, all you need to do is do a simple word search in your word program, look for L-Y, and just get it out of there. Yes, there's so many we just don't need. It just slows the reader down. And I think learning that and accepting that was a really important stepping stone for me. Especially with your move towards the thriller elements. Um, because this is really critical. You can't call it a, a thriller if your reader is mired in mud on every page. Exactly. Yeah. So that's going to be your tip, Vanessa. Thank you very much. And it's a really important one. I can't emphasize it enough. Um, now, now, uh, so we've covered off tips, but there was something else I wanted to ask you about. You've got, um, you've got an event coming up. Can you tell me about that? I do, yes. I have a reading and a signing at the Warkworth Public Library. It's on April 24th, a Wednesday, and it's from 7 to 8 p.m., and I'm really looking forward to it. The library is very supportive, and they're getting um, coffee beans donated by the cafe nearby, and it's a lovely little library. And that's April 24th, and it's the Warkworth Library, and that is W-A-R-K-W-O-R-T-H, if you're trying to Google that event. Um, so you want to make sure you spell it correctly. And it will be Vanessa Westerman talking about an excuse for murder. What weekday is April 24th, do you know? It's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Okay, so Wednesday evening, and what time does it start again? 7 p.m. 7 p.m. You know, repetition is the uh, is the hallmark of uh, publicity. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So bear with me for all the, the repetition. We have to do it because we want people to come out and see you and hear you and learn about your book. And yes. now I, I've got another question for you. Where are you located, Vanessa? And I have a reason for asking. Um, it's outside of Toronto, more so close to Campbellford and Workworth, actually. 
Okay. Okay. Excellent. Um, have you been dumped by snow this morning? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I looked out the window and I thought, oh, the snow is falling. <laughs> I almost fell off my slippers. I'm telling you, because I, I knew I had these interviews to, to do this morning and then I had to get out shopping and I saw that snow and I just thought, oh my God. <laughs> yes. Just- Yesterday afternoon was lovely, but it did not last. <laughs> but right now is March 30th, so March is really going out like a lion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, Vanessa, you're a member of the Crime Writers of Canada, is that right? Yes, I am. Okay, okay, excellent. And when did you join? Uh, well, this is funny. Actually, very recently. However, I have taken part in different activities with the Crime Writers of Canada before, but not as a fully fledged member. Um, so this was something that I also learned as I was going along. I love reading. I love books. I love bookstores and libraries. And I got to know the owners of Sleuth of Baker Street, the mystery mm-hmm. bookstore in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I started writing a review column for them when their other reviewer, their guest reviewer, couldn't uh, take on the column anymore. And through them, I started to get some connections to different events and to crime writers. And that's how I was a judge for the Arthur Ellis Awards as well. And I have to tell you, I've asked Marion to come on the show, but she's... um... She's a little bit more reserved and and, uh, not that type. But that is our absolute favorite bookstore in Toronto. It's called The Sleuth of Baker Street. Please look it up. If you've got any interest in crime fiction or true crime whatsoever, all of Canada's best eventually make their way to The Sleuth of Baker Street. So please go on in and give them some badly needed patronage. They have fought the good fight while bookstores all around them, independent bookstores, have closed up just relentlessly. The Sleuth has managed to keep its doors open and to service authors and readers, and I can't speak highly enough of them. So get out there. If you see that there's going to be an author uh, release date or a launch date, get out. I know the Maydams of Mayhem will be uh, launching our next anthology, which is called In the Key of 13, and that will be near the end of October. I don't yet know the exact date, but it will be at the Sleuth of Baker Street. So um, I will announce details as soon as I know them. And that's my punch up for today. I have to get the Sleuth of Baker Street some business. So get out there. Absolutely. They're wonderful at recommending books as well. If you go in and you've enjoyed something, then they'll find the perfect next read for you. Excellent. Excellent. Vanessa, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And uh, please stay on the line while I stop the recording and we'll chat just a few minutes more. Okay, perfect. I want to thank Vanessa Westerman for joining us today on Dead to Rights, the podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Vanessa on the art of writing as much as I have. Be sure to tune in for for our next episode when we'll feature Gail Sharp Kelly, the author of a memoir titled Beyond My Understanding. And that also came out first quarter of 2019. So it's also brand new off the presses. And uh, you can look for it at Amazon or any place where great books and ebooks are sold. Are you a published author? Would you like to be featured on Dead to Rights? Please contact me at Publishing at rogers.com and say Dead to Rights interview in the subject line. We'd love to hear from you. Likewise, if you've got any questions for any of our authors, don't hesitate to get in touch at the same email address. And I'll be sure to present your questions on the podcast. 
If you'd like to leave a voice message on Facebook, you can find me at Donna Carrick or under Dead to Rights. We're also on Facebook under Carrick Publishing. But for voicemails, please leave them at Dead to Rights so I'll know what it's regarding. You can find me also on Twitter at Donna underscore Carrick. My husband is at Alex underscore Carrick. And we've also, uh, we also are on Twitter at Carrick Pub and at Dead to Rights Pod. So you can communicate with us a number of ways and we hope to hear from you. All story scoring and, and theme music, including Eyes of Gold, are composed and performed by Ted Carrick, our son, who is a music major at uh, university. And he composes for films, and he plays in a band, and all these good things. So um, please give him some love at his YouTube channel, Ted Carrick Music. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.